What's good, y'all? We are back at it again with another episode. But before we tune in the episode, I know you're like, Anaya, what do you want? I got a few updates, super quick. First things first, if you're listening, share this, okay? Share it to other people who can listen and love it as much as you do. Share it on your Snapchat, your Instagram, your Twitter, your Facebook, whatever you want. I need you to share it, okay? Two, if you haven't subscribed, please do subscribe on Anchor Podcast. Leave me a five-star review. Subscribe on Amazon Music, Spotify. Your girl is streaming everywhere, okay? So let's go make that move. Three, if you are not subscribed to my YouTube channel, what are you doing? I mean, you're missing out, (laughs) period. I don't even have anything to say, right? You're missing out. I just got the chance to experience my first NFL draft weekend with Grady Sports Agency and Grady Media. We got our two guys drafted, Jason Pinnock, to the New York Jets and Mr. Relevant Grant Stewart to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, if you want to tune in and see what it's like behind the scenes to work with the agent, to see what it takes to market players, et cetera, I mean, I'm the place to be, okay? Tune in to the um, YouTube, subscribe, and if you're more of a visual person and you'd rather see the interviews in person and on your TV screen rather than just hearing me talk all day on a podcast, the interviews are all up there so you can go tune in. Now we're going to hop right into today's episode. I'm not going to talk too much. I'm not going to take too much of y'all time up because this episode is one that is, when I say amazing, amazing is an understatement. You guys are going to love it. And my little hint for what you're about to prepare yourself for is Slam Magazine. Everybody's picked up a magazine. We all love Slam Magazine if you're into sports. And um, I got the guy behind the entire plan of all those slam magazine covers that you love so stay tuned i'm welcoming you to adam figman chief content head officer um for slam magazine this episode is going to be amazing tune in y'all and get these gems let's get it Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode. I am ecstatic about this. Uh, That's an understatement. I have an amazing guest today that I'm super excited just to speak about, to talk about, um, to have this conversation with, to pick his brain and mind. And today I love to introduce to my podcast, Adam Figman, the chief content officer at Slam Magazine. How you feeling, Adam? Feeling okay. How are you feeling? I'm good. I'm excited. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for having me. Of course. And something that, you know, we chopped it up a little bit before the podcast started, but starting the podcast, of course, for me, building the brand, but I am a huge advocate for women in sports. And so that's kind of the mission behind it to bring visibility and light to it. And every episode, it's a ritual. Um, My listeners know, and now you're a part of this too, is to highlight a woman in sports. So every episode, we got to start off with that. Um, And I'm sure you're aware. I'm pretty sure you're aware of who Cheney is Mm -hmm. and um, a player for the Sparks. And she just executive produced 144 uh, for the WNBA in the anniversary of their 25th year, which was amazing. So just want to give that kudos to her. Shout out to her. Um, just because I think there's one thing to say diversity inclusion, but then there's a different thing to say visibility. And, um, I think that's something that she just gave them and I'm just happy ESPN gave her that platform. I loved it a hundred percent. Yeah. What were your thoughts about it? Like, how did you, what were your favorite parts about it? What did you enjoy? I have to watch, I watched it admittedly while I was like, um doing it was like night time. I was editing stories it was like yeah. you know it was I, I watched it on on uh what do you call it like I recorded it um so I watched it while I was editing stories I want to I'm going to watch it again this weekend and I'll give you like a proper I'll give you a proper breakdown but I did see um Camille 
Fusita, who who uh, who runs uh, W Slam, mm -hmm. um, she uh, she interviewed a few people connected to the um, to the documentary on on W Slam, and it had me hype. It, it was it was just you know the amount of like energy that I saw from the group of people that uh, mm -hmm. directed it and produced it was incredible. Um, I have to like properly you know yeah. do it but but it was it was cool I I think you know I followed I was just having a conversation with someone before this actually where it felt like the bubbles you know the W bubble and the NBA bubble yeah it happened and we were all so tuned in and then it you know life kind of moved on afterwards and here we are and now there's you know app, there's proper seasons happening in in arenas and it almost feels surreal to think that that happened and we were you know, in a sense, even, you know, at Slam, we just kind of covered it. Yes. So it's not like I was there or anything, but, you know, in a way, even just covering it felt like we were a part of history. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's bizarre to realize 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago, I mean, 10, 20, 30, 40 years from now, we're going to look back and be like, that, that really happened. Like we played yes. entire season, you know, entire pro seasons in bubbles because, there was a pandemic raging through our country it sounds if you told me that two years ago i would tell you you have no idea what you're talking about and you're <laughs> making stuff up but you know here we are and so it's still i'm happy that a documentary like that exists so quickly but it's going to stand the test of time because we need to really like properly document this stuff or else years from now when we look back on it we're not going to understand it because it's so out of this world almost yes. it makes it makes no sense I totally agree. And and just speaking of that time, even before we really dive into the rest of the things, like that was the time where I released the podcast in quarantine. So there mm -hmm. was just so much to talk about. Um, and it was just so amazing. The solidarity that the WNBA has. Um, I don't know about you, but in my opinion, their sisterhood is better than any other league in sports, period. And it's just so amazing how they can just continuously come together continuously speak up um the bravery that the Atlanta dream had just so many people is just crazy and and to say you played a part in that is bizarre it's amazing I I think I played no part in it but <laughs> I I think you know hopefully at slam part of what we stands for is you know amplifying the right things yeah um and amplifying important things and I think even if we did so much as amplify some of the amazing things that the WNBA players, um, you know, were doing last summer, then we helped in a, in a very, very, very small way, but still compared to the amount of amazing stuff that they, that they accomplished, it's nothing. I mean, they literally changed the world. You can't really overstate yeah. that. You really I can't. agree. I agree. Yeah. And, and for those of those who are listening, I'm sure they heard slam magazine. It was just like, mm -hmm. okay, who is Adam? And you know, you have this, this title, but what it, what really does that title entail? Like, tell me, explain your role. What do you do for Slam Magazine? Sure. So my title is Chief Content Officer. I I started well. I started at Slam um, a lot of years ago. <laughs> very old. Uh, now I started at Slam as an intern and kind of worked my way up to my current status. But even starting a few years ago, um, I I was named editor in chief 2016. And at the time, Slam staff was about nine people. There was probably maybe five people on the editorial side and four people on the business side. So being editor in chief really consisted of um, being the editor of the magazine and mm -hmm. then kind of 
managing the content on the website. And that was about it. Maybe we had a couple of social channels. We probably had, you know, at slam our main yeah. channel on Instagram and Twitter and, and Facebook. And that was really, that was really it over time, over the next few years, the job expanded as the role expanded, right? So the title changed from editor-in-chief to head of content to chief content officer. And the reason it, it evolved like that is because we expanded and we started doing more and more and more. So we mm -hmm. built a, you know, and I can go deeper into this if you'd like, but we built a, a whole network of social channels from, yeah. you know, the aforementioned W Slam to League Fits, Slam Kicks, Slam High School, Slam Rewind. Slam uh, everything. Slam everything. <laughs> uh, we started a merchandise division. We, we have the magazine still, we publish, you know, a proper issue of slam six times a year. We do about anywhere from six to 10 special issues a year. So we probably make a, upwards of a dozen print publications per year. Yeah. Um, we have our website, we have our newsletter. We have lots of video content that we make for anything from, you know, YouTube to Instagram mm -hmm. TV, to TikTok to Twitter. We're all, you know, tons of video content. So it's really this wide ranging media role. So, you know, the job has evolved over the past few years, but all of that content, whether it is the magazine, you know, the website, the newsletter, all the social channels, all the video content that we produce, it all kind of, uh, I manage, you know, all of that stuff, frankly. And, yeah. and at this point, to be honest with you, it's not so much as managing every single little piece of content because we do a lot. It's more about managing the staff and making sure everyone's mm. kind of rowing the boat in the same direction and, and doing the right things, as opposed to, you know, giving edits on every single little video we make or editing yeah. every single story we do, because I think we do way too much for one person to have to do all of that. <laughs> totally. Y'all have a lot of content out. It's amazing. And just because you've, you've explained your role and you also just touched on from the start, you know, you were intern here and you've worked your way up and been in this promotional position. And I, I you know, of course, before I have people on the podcast, I got to read more up on you. You got to figure out a little bit more. And something that I read was you were like, hey, I started as an editorial intern and I love Slam. Um, let's start there. How did the opportunity with Slam come about? I graduated college in 2010. At the time, I don't know how to explain this to someone who who didn't really um, know about kind of like not that you don't, but just in general, it was such a it's it's bizarre, but it really was such a different time. And mm -hmm. if you, I I think even to this day, I think of 2010 as this kind of like before and after moment where LeBron's decision happened, and that summer there was so much coverage of it that. I don't mm. think we'd ever seen in the basketball world, we'd ever seen so much coverage of off-court stuff happening. Mm. There was, they were literally, like Twitter was a flame and they were doing so much as covering where LeBron's plane was, trying to use the exact place where LeBron's plane was to figure out where he was going to sign with. Like it was, it was yeah. intense. And I had just graduated college and I was relatively directionless. I wanted to be a music writer actually, but at wow. the time, you know, basically between tw 2007 and 2009, you know, 10, the print media world more or less fell apart. Magazines were closing left and right there. It was just difficult to get a foot in the, in the door. And I didn't have any connections or know anyone or anything like that. So I was trying to get internships after mm -hmm. I graduated college in 2010. 
just to get my foot in the door somewhere or work somewhere part-time. And I couldn't really, I couldn't really find a way in, but I realized even though I was obsessed with trying to become a music writer that I also was spending my day on basketball Twitter, frankly. (laughs) And I was like, this is awesome. Like this is stuff that I'm super interested in in as well. So maybe I should try the basketball thing. So I applied for an internship at slam, um, you know, wound up in their office a couple of weeks later and wound up uh, with an internship, you know, two or three days a week that started in July of 2010. And it, I loved it. It was so much fun. I was writing stories about basketball players that I considered to be heroes, talking to them on the phone, wow. managing the website, managing, you know, they gave me the Twitter password and were like, here, just do stuff, figure this thing out, uh, which mm-hmm. I thought was cool as a, you know, that's so dope. 21-year-old. <laughs> um, now I think, you know, the social media is a little bit more, it's like a higher up position to just be given the Twitter password and say, you know, <laughs> we don't really we don't really say here's Twitter, go do whatever you want to interns yeah. anymore. But at the time, that's how it worked. And, you know, I was also doing regular intern stuff like bringing sneakers to a photo shoot or transcribing interviews to, you know, for for editors and stuff like that. But I was hungry. And, and so I, I just did everything I could, worked as hard as I could, was given a job, you know, maybe a half a year later, maybe four, four, four to six months later, I would say early 2011, I joined full-time as an associate editor. Um, and from there, you know, hung around a lot and just tried to learn as much as I could. And also, you know, use what I knew about the internet and apply it to slam whenever I could, which is mm. what they, what they wanted more than anything. That That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, Just to see you move up in the ranks and just to first, I would say a lot of people aren't fortunate to have the opportunity to come out of college, solidify an internship and on top of that, be content with what they have. Um, So that was just an amazing position to be in. And for a lot of people, a lot of my audience is younger. A lot Mm. of people are interested in sports. A lot of people have aspirations of working in sports. If you can you know, go back in time, what's one thing you wish you would have known when you started your career? One thing I wish I would have known, well, I probably would have stressed a little less if you told me that everything was going to be okay and I would be able to mm. figure it out. But I, I don't regret, you know, stressing out over it or being anxious about it because I think that created a level of urgency that helped me, yep. you know, work really hard and not take my foot off the gas. I think one thing that I always operated by you know, I, I have these kind of two contradictory opinions that I try to always float back and forth between. Mm-hmm. And one of them that I think really guided me pretty early and was important is the idea that everything is an audition, which mm. that's a is word a little, is a little stressful to think about. But I, I found it to be really true. You know, every at least every time I was in front of someone for the first time or doing someone doing something for someone for the first time as an intern or you know, an, an, an entry-level employee. Yeah. I, I made sure, you know, I told myself, okay, this is an audition to see if I can do this at a higher level or a bigger scale or, or, you know, on a more important level. So I treated everything very seriously. And I always told myself that, and it could have been anything from transcribing an interview to, you know, take, we used to pick up sneakers from literally from like a footlocker store and I'd have to run them to a, a photo <laughs> shoot where we were shooting them for, I think, a Foot Locker, like branded content campaign. Um, 
and I would like be on the train holding three boxes of sneakers, <laughs> like, you know, like super nervous that I would even just do so much as drop the pair of sneakers and get them scuffed up and they'd be ruined for the photo shoot. But, you know, I, I, I treated everything like, it, you know, every opportunity, like it was an audition at the same time. I also live my life by trying to remember that what I do is, is basketball and sports and media. And it's not, I'm not a doctor. I'm not an astronaut. None of this is that important. You shouldn't let it, um, you know, ruin your life with stress and anxiety, even though it's really easy to get caught up in it. So I try to like balance those two things, which are kind of, um, yin and yang to each other, frankly, but you know, those, those two principles really, really guided me, um, early in my career. And I think it, it worked out and I'm happy that I, I'm happy that I did that, but you know, it's, it's, it's not for everyone. I think media is really, the hours can be long. Mm-hmm. It can be very competitive, especially in sports where everyone wants to work in sports. Everybody. Everyone wants to work in media. <laughs> um, and it's hard, you know, it, it's difficult work. And I got incredibly lucky. I was incredibly fortunate, incredibly privileged to be able to, you know, get that opportunity in the first place and even be in position to take advantage of it. So I never lose sight of that. It's just, you know, it's, it's, it's okay that it's not for everyone. Also, I, I think that's something that I've seen, you know, I've had a lot of conversations with people through the industry over the years. And there are a lot of people that are doing different things now, frankly, you know, maybe more interesting things, maybe things that make them more money. Um, and that's cool too. I, I, you know, I, I don't, uh, I don't lose sight of that either. I think there's a, there's a bigger world out there for sure. So, yeah. you know, I just try to stay focused and do what that I can was, do. That was an amazing piece of advice. Um, you know, the duality of what you say, you know, not stressing out too much, still having mm-hmm. sanity within yourself, but also this is, this is your chance. And I think that's just so important because a lot of the times in sports, you may come across this person once and never be able to make an impression again, you know, and it's just so important to, to solidify that. And that's just some great advice for me. And I really do try to live by that when it comes to first impressions and outside of just, you know, what happens, you know, what you would have told yourself for somebody who specifically wants to go into editing, into media, like what, what would you, what advice would you give them? Like, what should they be doing right now in this sort of time that we have that would just prepare them or propel them away from their competition? So it's amazing the times we live in because I have to ask when you say editing, you mean like uh, story editing, text editing, right? Yes. As opposed to as opposed to video editing, which is different, but, you know, a huge part of what I do also. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm a video editor, but we have video editors on staff. But you mean you mean story editing, Yes. Um, and mag, you know, traditional magazine editing, I guess. Yeah. I think that, you know, you want to be an amazing writer and you want to be an amazing editor. That means that you need to really take it seriously from the perspective of like reading absolutely everything. That's, that's mm-hmm. one of the things that I, that I really grasped onto early on. I mean, I was, when I was interning, I was on the train every night I would steal old magazines out of the slam <laughs> mail room. Uh, I'm talking about like classic slam magazines from 2000 and, you know, three, four, five. That's crazy. And I would just be on the train home reading them, like st- not even reading them in the way that you might read the, you know, the newspaper in the morning, but reading them like they were a, a term paper that I was trying to like um, get ready for. Like I was, mm. I would study them 
and you know you look at the lead and you look at the way the story is written and the way the story is edited um and i would do that with other magazines too rolling stone vibe uh double xl you know even the new york times and you know the washington post and newspapers and stuff like that like the only way to become a better writer is to read absolutely everything and always be always be writing whether it means mm. you want to do write 300 words every morning when you wake up or make sure you write 300 words every night before you go to bed whatever it is you have to figure out how to train those muscles because you know and I don't even really write that much anymore I'm sure my writing muscles have, have deteriorated down to nothing but being a good writer is really a, it's a really a muscle and the only way to get better is to work on it mm -hmm. so you just have to figure out what you're like your schedule for for improvement is and really stay at it because the if you think you're just going to get older and become a better writer because you're you know you've put you've gotten older it's not yeah. gonna it's not gonna work you have to work on it the same way you'd work at like getting faster for to run a marathon mm. um and getting in shape for that or you know something physical like it really you just got to work at it so if you're in college and you want to be a writer you really should be writing every possible moment you can granted you know don't burn yourself out too early but it doesn't have to be for public consumption it doesn't need to be for a magazine or you know if you can write for the school newspaper great if not write a blog if you don't want to make it public because you don't think it's good enough just do it for yourself and, and mm. put it in the trash can i've told people this before but a half hour of writing every day and then at the end of the half hour just dragging it right into the garbage and putting it in the garbage and moving on you got better during that half hour it's just it's just getting the wow. you know the muscle going so that's the hardest part is just practicing to get better i i was writing a lot in the earlier parts of my career now not so much and i'm sure i'm not half the writer i was eight years ago stop it i read it <laughs> speaking of writing i read one of your articles which i i loved um and it was about chris paul and his ability to be a leader and one of the questions you asked him was basically is a leader being becoming a leader is it innate or is it learned um and he stated that it was a combination of both and I thought that it was just such an amazing article, especially with the time that we were going through. But, you know, my idea, what I would like to ask you is as a writer, when it comes to wanting to interview this person, why is that the first person that comes to your mind? Or what's the idea and how do you formulate, hey, I have this idea and then this is the perfect person for it. Or, or should I write about this? You know, what's that? What goes up here, you know, when that's happening? Yeah, it's an interesting question. So. I, I can, I think they're always different. Every mm -hmm. time we choose a cover is different. Every time, you know, the stories come in in a lot of ways, writers pitch them, editors think of them mm -hmm. and we assign them out. Sometimes editors think of them and they want to write them themselves. Like stories kind of come together in a lot of ways, but I think the Chris, the Chris one is interesting and, and there's, there's a good lesson there. I think uh, at the time the, the NBA was actually just coming out of its, its bubble yeah. and it was, uh, we were actually approaching, we were approaching the election. And I thought the NBA did a solid job of showing us what can be accomplished with, with real leadership. Mm. You know, that just to get all the players into the bubble at the same time was, was one task. And then, you know, you know, getting together to push us forward from a social justice perspective is not the easiest task there was 400 and some odd players in there or actually i think there was 200 something players in there because not every team went back but there was 200 something players in there i believe and there were a lot of uh you know 
political issues, social issues that people had a lot of opinions about. And they, they, I, I think they did a good job pushing us forward and really spreading important messages yes. and doing the right thing. And then the bubble ends, you know, we were heading, this was in the fall, I guess we were heading towards the election. I remember I, I watched the debate, uh, the Trump Biden, I want to say it was the first debate. It was just a mess. Um, <laughs> a absolute am, I, am, I mess. To, am I allowed to curse on here? Yes. Yes. Be you. Okay. It was a shit show. And <laughs> they, I think it was the, it was the first one. Trump was just like screaming constantly over. He just made it, he mucked it up so much that like, it, it, nobody was making any points. It yeah. was just, it was, it was like, I can't believe that the whole country is sitting here and thinking that this is what um, leadership looks like. I hope nobody, mm. I hope no kids are watching this basically. And yeah. I, if they are, I hope their parents are telling them that this is not what good leadership is. And, you know, I was thinking, I always put everything I do through a basketball lens because I work at Slam and I love basketball. Yeah. And I put it through that lens and thought like, you know, what is the and what is the NBA showing us in terms of leadership? Mm. And to that degree, I thought Chris was a good example of what actual good leadership was. Yes, yes he, yes. he was the president of the you know the players association. The players association had been doing really important work. They the players you know did end up sticking together in a pretty meaningful way. And I wanted to you know show Slam's support for that. So. Mm. To me, Chris was kind of the perfect cover cover subject at the time, um, and he want you know he was down to be on our covering, kind of spread spread that message also, and that's where we ended up. I'm forgetting exactly what the cover line was, but I want to. I remember it was something along the lines of "This is what a leader looks like," mm-hmm. and you know I thought that was an important message at a time when I didn't necessarily think people were watching TV and seeing what leaders look like. Because mm. that was the first of, I don't know, two or three or four debates when it didn't feel like America was seeing what a good leader was. Yeah. And at least in our world, we can't control the world, but we we have a big voice in, in the basketball world that sometimes extends beyond it. And I thought Chris was the, the right kind of player to be spotlighting at the time. So, you know, that's where the, that's how we decided to put him on the cover. And then the cover story that you mentioned kind of got filtered through that lens too, where it was like, let's talk to Chris about what leadership looks like, how yeah. it, how it happens. And he's someone who's kind of been that leader his whole career. And I was just curious, you know, do you, do you learn that? Do you improve on that? Do you get better mm-hmm. on that? Or are you just who you are? And if you're in the right circumstances, you're built for it or you're not. So that was really the the foundation of that conversation. Yeah. I, that's amazing. And I think, the great thing, you know, for creatives and people in general is there's so much inspiration all around us, you know, that can literally inspire us to think about something and be like, okay, it clicks. And that's something that you did. And, and Chris, perfect, perfect person for you all, you all to think of. And I commend you all because the article was amazing that you wrote, by the way. I loved it. And um, I mean, for me, Chris is just a leader. I mean, we're talking about being the leader of the organization that, you know, over the Players Association. Mm-hmm. Um, on top of that, for me, who do you know is taking an OKC team to the playoffs and then <laughs> going to the Suns and killing it, you know? No, it's, it, I'm loving everything that he's doing. It, it's, I think there were points in his career where people really doubted where it was going from yeah. there. 
right? It, it, you know, Houston, and then he goes to OKC. Like there were definitely a few moments where it was like, all right, this is a good, a good to decent, you know, young 30, 30 something, but in the younger, earlier, early 30s point guard who's probably, you know, just signed a huge contract that people didn't think he deserved and yep. was on, you know, on his way out of the league and towards the end of his career, his contract, he's going to be dead weight. And he proved it all wrong. I mean, he, he, he stopped eating red meat and he, you know, he got his shit together. And I mean, not that it wasn't really ever together. I think that was just a misconception. And I think he, he's, you know, what's Phoenix. We'll see how real it is in the playoffs, but yeah, just that they even got, <laughs> I, that's how I felt about Oklahoma City too, though. When they were in that first round series, it was like they weren't even supposed to be there. Like just that they were battling in the playoffs was impressive. And now, it was impressive. now that Phoenix is the two seed, I want to say, right? Just yeah, that they're two. at that point, you know, it, I mean, it kind of it makes it makes no sense, and it makes a lot of sense if you yeah, think about it, because because of that group. It's like what can more can you ask for? And just speaking upon that, like you said, it's innate and learned too. But like for me. The definition of a leader, I mean, there's so many things we can say, but for me, it's also a person who can go somewhere um, and literally affect everyone around them in a more positive way. And I think that's something that we've just seen with Chris, like you said, OKC in the playoffs. And I mean, actually playing good with a super young team, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. what? And now you're on a, a better team with more equipped people with D-Book. So the playing games, I'm excited. I don't know what you're thinking. What you, how you feeling about this Lakers Golden State matchup? I'm excited. I'm excited. I, I, I'm the wrong person to ask for NBA predictions, but (laughs) I think, you know, it's, it's, I can't believe LeBron is in this situation of having to like fight his way into the playoffs. I feel like I'm in a different dimension because I'm so used to him just kind of walking in there, uh, for the past, like damn near two decades. (laughs) So this idea of, of a LeBron team, having to go through the play-ins is, is just, it makes no sense to me, but I am excited. I hope, I mean, not to play favorites, but I do hope both the Lakers and the Warriors wind up in the playoffs yeah. because I just think it, it'll be more fun if, if they are. I agree. I, th- yeah. I love, I love the matchup though, just because mm-hmm. I think it'll just continue to bring out the best in Braun. Like he's not going down without a fight in the same way for Steph. Steph's been on fire, man. So who do you have coming out of the West? Ooh, to be very honest with you, I don't have a person. Like, I don't have a team. Like, I feel like mm-hmm. this is the first time where it's just like, I really, truly don't know, like, at all. Okay. So I, I, don't, I don't know either. I think that makes it a lot more fun, though. It's pretty rare that you can't even – nobody feels comfortable even throwing a single dart and being like, yeah, I got the mm-hmm. Clippers or I got the Lakers or I got the – yeah sons or the jet i don't know everybody's don't know. up there so yeah so we'll see we got to circle back around after this tournament ends we're gonna be like what like what happened <laughs> <laughs> absolutely oh. <laughs> and something that you said you spoke on earlier which i, I just thought was amazing all of the slam social media channels let's talk about mm-hmm. social media let's talk about what you guys have done i mean sl- to name a few slam <laughs> W slam slam kicks like you said league fits slam high school slam rewind slam good I got everything and so when you, you talked about when slam first started I mean you guys had like one platform a small twitter wasn't too much strategy to it just a lot of personality 
go ahead and be you. Um, my question is, you've been here not from literally the start, but you've been here from an early time. How have you seen the social media presence of you all's company grow? And, you know, with the Twitter idea, you know, when you were running it, et cetera, how do you feel like you've contributed to it? What was your mindset to get it from here to here, you know? Yeah, we realized at some point, and this wasn't a, a crazy revelation, to be honest with you. I think most media companies realized something similar, probably around a similar point, to be honest with you. But we realized at some point that we needed to be vertical because the basketball world was too big for us to cover it all on one channel. There mm -hmm. were too many things that people were interested in. And just the way social media works is people want a very specific type of content from that feed. And if you go too wide, your engagement rate's gonna go down and you're gonna reach less people with each post. That's yes. just kind of the way that these platforms have, have built themselves. So especially the algorithm-based ones, you know, uh, Instagram, TikTok, even Facebook. So we, we thought of it through that lens. And in 2016, we had Slam and we had Slam Kicks. Slam Kicks, you know, made sense from a long time ago to start its own vertical because even from a print magazine perspective, Kicks has been its own publication yep. that Slam has made once a year starting in, I believe it was 1998 or nine. So, so, you know, Slam Kicks has kind of been its own, its own vertical for years now. So that was probably 2015 or 16, we started Slam Kicks. But in 2016, we started producing a bunch of, uh, it was probably 2017, actually, we started making a lot of high school basketball content, because mm -hmm. we, we, the, com the company was, was purchased by a new investor, right? It, it had previously been owned by a big magazine conglomerate, they sold it off in 2017 to a, an upstart uh, investment group that was, mm -hmm. you know, investing heavily in the space of sports, media, technology. So they wanted to, you know, put a battery in our back and, and be like, all right, let's let's get out there and cover this, you know, this world the way it deserves to be covered. So the first yeah. thing that we did was like, we were like, all right, we've been behind on high school for a few years now from a video perspective. Obviously, we've covered high school basketball in print for a lot of years, but we need to cover it from a video perspective properly. Mm -hmm. So we hired, you know, a whole, a whole slew of high school basketball video shooters. They were creating high school basketball content all over the country, putting it on our main Instagram channel, and it wasn't performing that well. And I was like, this doesn't make any sense. People want this content. There's huge high school basketball accounts. Why wouldn't mm. they want it on coming out of slam? And we realized that that's because that audience, that, that audience, the main slam Instagram was used to so much NBA content that wow. the high school stuff wasn't performing well. They had just gotten used, you know, algorithmically used to yeah. um, NBA content. So we were like, all right, we need to start going vertical. We need to build out individual channels for individual sectors of, of what we do. So that's when mm -hmm. we started slam high school. Um, and then not that long after that, we started, W Slam, Slam Rewind. At some point, we started Slam FTW, which was all about the video game and basketball overlap, you mm -hmm. know, esports, 2K, um, even like basketball players being obsessed with Call of Duty, that kind of thing. At some point, you know, I'm kind of screwing up the timeline here, but this is basically over the course of two or so years, 20, let's call it 20, late 2017 into late 2019 during those two years when we started all the verticals. Uh, we, we knew we wanted to do something around the space between fashion and basketball and the tunnel was just becoming a thing. 
We yep. started League Fits just on the idea of tunnel photos. And frankly, that's grown League into Fits. it's grown into its own brand. You know, we've had video series, branded content projects, um, sections of the print magazine, along with obviously the you know amazing Instagram page has just grown out around that that brand. So it's really become a force. We, I realized uh, like two hours ago, we passed 700K on Instagram. Wow. So that's really become a, become a force. So yeah, we've grown this social network for lack of a better term um, around, you know, eight or nine different basketball verticals. And now we have, we have this really wide net. So it helps us, you know, reach people on a, you know, it helps us reach a very specific kind of person if we want to go a little more narrow. So if we're looking to only target people who love women's basketball, we can hit W slam. If we're looking to target only people who love sneakers, we can hit slam kicks, but it's also great for, you know, if a brand comes in and wants to reach our audience, they can have the whole thing. And it's, it grew a lot faster and a lot bigger. And it's a way more engaged group of channels than if we just poured all of our content onto one channel. And that's just kind of the way social media works. I mean, that's, you know, just always how it's been. It's, yeah. it's uh, Mark Zuckerberg's fault. <laughs> he that that's so funny and and something that you said that i just think is amazing he also being a marketing major i'm a marketing mm -hmm. major and i'm just really into social media marketing trying to build the brands of athletes and that was just key for me like knowing being vertical knowing the different niches just because your target audience is so different on so many things you guys have a global brand um, and to make that adjustment, but the most impressive thing is the growth in two years. I mean, you said a span of 2017 to 2019 and over 700 K on league fits, like what, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. That was always, that was always the advantage of the, of us being able to hit new verticals is we have the existing ones at first, it was just at slam, mm -hmm. but we have the, you know, our mothership basically to push everyone over, hey, if you're interested in NBA fashion, we have a new channel <laughs> and that'll get us a base of followers and then we can grow organically on top of that. But yeah. we always had this base because, you know, our other channels reach a, reach a lot of people. Mm, that's, that's, that's amazing. And to, and to build upon that point, there's a, sometimes people have a negative stigma when it comes to social media, like social mm -hmm. media is turn the world down, <laughs> everybody's focus, all of this. Um, I, so I look at it as a tool, you know, and I just think it's just about what you allow yourself to consume on social media, what you put out there. Like I always tell people you control the narrative. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And I would just love to hear your perspective because you've literally seen the evolution of social media platforms. Like what's your idea about people having the idea of the, of the stigma, et cetera? I think two things can be true. It could be it could be really good and amazing and um, help amazing things happen whether it's you know people finding people who are similar to them and like the same stuff as them and building yeah. relationships or just as simple as like sometimes when something funny happens on twitter and everyone's making jokes about it it's the <laughs> best place in the world there's nothing <laughs> yeah there's nothing like all of twitter getting together to roast one thing that deserve you know when it's deserved that is the best thing in the world and the funniest thing in the world and you know amazing um, at the same time, some horrible things have happened because of social media, obviously. Uh, I think we saw that in, you know, in the country, in the country of the United States over the past few years, yeah. just absolutely terrible things are able to be amplified because social media 
you know, wasn't regulated properly or um, people were using it for, for horrible things. And there's no, deni there's no denying that. I think, you know, in terms of how I try to consume it or, or my mentality towards it is just trying to, and I'm, I've always been pretty bad at this, but I am trying to get a little better with this limiting personal consumption and just being smart about it. Mm. Um, I'm still always on social media, but I try to take responsible breaks when I can. Um, but I honestly, to answer your question, I think, you know, the answer to all of it is just, yes, like you're, you're right about a lot of all of the horrible things. And you're right about all of the amazing things. Mm -hmm. It's just all true. And, you know, all you can do to help make it better is, you know, act with good faith and, and be trying to accomplish good things and not amplify horrible stuff or people being mean or people being rude um, for no reason. And, you know, try to bring joy into the world somehow or another, or if nothing else, make good jokes on Twitter. Yeah. Um, <laughs> What is the place, man? <laughs> and so, yeah, that's, I mean, that's my approach. I don't think there's a right or wrong though. And I think it's definitely really amazing and it's definitely really horrible all at the same time. Yeah, I, I totally, I agree with you. And I just want to hear that perspective because you've literally seen the evolution, you know, for mm -hmm. me, my generation, social media is the norm, you know, yeah. but you've, you've yeah. seen the progression of everything. And, and something that I'm interested in too sometimes is I hear people always just say, like I said, control the narrative, right? Whatever you put on social media, you can put out there, you know, my Instagram, it's a podcast, or it's me personally, and all of these things just to show who Anaya Jones is wholeheartedly. Mm -hmm. And going to your page, a lot of people might just associate you with slam. Yeah, if there would be advice for a person who, let's say, is just, you know, doing something with athletes or doing something in sports, how do you not become the identity of the company? You know, like, how do you separate your own brand? It's really interesting that you ask that. I think, I think it's interesting for me, or at least the way I think about it is because I, you made this point earlier, like I grew up without social media, mm. right? Mm -hmm. I, I even, well, I had social, I got all my social accounts in college, right? I, I was a part of the group of people who were on Facebook yeah. with when you had to have a college email account in order to, <laughs> to sign up. Um, <laughs> That's gonna make me sound incredibly old, but that's what it, <laughs> I didn't even know they existed. Two thousand seven. That's what it was, um, and you know, I had I got a Twitter account. I want to say two thousand nine or so. I probably was lurking as of two thousand eight, and maybe signed up in two thousand ten, something like that. So I I started social media basically when I started my career, right? Mm -hmm. That's when social media actually became a part of my life. Before then, even Facebook in college was like a social thing. It was like, here's photos from the party last night or this kind of thing, or here's a bunch of people saying I'm going to this event and it's like the, the, the local concert or whatever, but it wasn't like a work thing. It wasn't like a professional person thing. Yeah. Um, and there was no newsfeed. There wasn't, it wasn't like a sharing articles type of thing either. So I've, I've, I never wrapped up my identity as a human being in my social media presence. Mm. So I can use Instagram to show just a bunch of slam covers. I should show some other stuff and I, I'll, I'll get back to that, I think. Um, because I'm, you know, to your point, I could see why someone would see my Instagram page and just be like, wow, his entire life is wrapped up in slam. Yeah. But from my, from my vantage point, it's like, you could see whatever you want. I don't, 
care that much. It doesn't, mm. if someone thinks that it doesn't really affect me, but I know that I'm, you know, have a, a whole life outside of that. And my friends know, and my family knows, and it doesn't, it's not, it's not who I am. It's not my entire identity yeah. because my whole life, my identity has never been directly correlated with what I'm putting on social media. I think there's probably a generation of, of younger folks who think of their social media pages, whether it's everything from Instagram, you know, what they put permanently on their feed, what they put temporarily on their stories, what they tweet, what they post on Snap, what they post on TikTok. They yeah. think that, that the group of those things is directly tied to their social status mm. or, or their professional status, one of the two usually, and sometimes both. Uh, and that's okay. I think that's, you know, I understand why a 24 year old would think that, to be honest with you, because that's just how people, that's how people look at people these days. Yep. So it makes, it makes sense to me, but I never really got caught up in that. And I don't, I don't think I will. Um, and so if someone, you know, I would just recommend people like go outside and, and hang out with your friends in the park and yeah. not post it on Instagram even one time and just see how that feels. Um, Cause it's not that bad, I promise. But you know, <laughs> I, uh, I don't know, I guess ultimately if, if I, if someone did see that to your point, if someone went on my Instagram page and just only saw slam things, it was like, wow, his entire identity is wrapped up in slam. I would say like, why you need to get that out of your head that someone's identity is just what they post on social media because mm. it's never, it's really not the case. It's just not. Mm, I love that. I, I truly love that. And I think that's a great point because it just shows the generational divide. Yeah. Um, and just the way people you're calling me old, to... but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, stop it. No, your experience. There's a difference. <laughs> right, right. Generational divide. Yeah. No, you're right, though. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Keep going. Sorry, I cut you off. No, you're good. It's just it's I think that's a great point, because sometimes I mean, even with validation, People can get so caught up in fear and mm -hmm. things it's simply just because of social media. And it's like, it's not that serious, you know? So I, I was just really curious, you know, because I think that's a great point. I'm pretty aware every human is more than that. But just wondering where your perspective was when it comes to that, you know? How do you um, how do you approach um, social channels and kind of getting wrapped up even in, in, in your identity matching what you post on social media? Yeah. So before the podcast, to be very honest with you, you wouldn't see me on Instagram, you know, like I just wasn't the type of person like people really just didn't know what I did because I just wasn't the type to take pictures of everything and post it. It just wasn't me. And so I think with this, it gave me I mean, people need to hear it. Right. And so I had to figure out a way to push it out to my target audience. And that was my way of posting. And now I've become more comfortable with posting other stuff. But People truly don't see everything, but I do try to find a diversification of what I put just to mm -hmm. show that I'm a little more than that. Um, but everything definitely not on there. The podcast was just like, that's the reason I'm so in tune with social media now. Like this was the saver, honestly. <laughs> no, it's amazing. It's an amazing marketing tool if you can figure it out. Mm -hmm. 100%. Yeah. You can get just get so connected with so many people. Like it's crazy. And, and to build upon that, question for you I'm really curious just with all your experience all the time you've put into what you've done what's the most important lesson you've learned just about digital media or social media or whatever you want to call it um the most important lesson 
wow, I need a few hours to think about that one. <laughs> uh, um, I mean, when I just, when I think about what I've, what I've learned and, and what I, what I've taken away, it's that the, it's, I'm trying to think of a not too corny way of, of saying it, but I think I've seen enough and I haven't been, you know, hopefully I'll be around this stuff for, for decades more. I don't, I have no right to speak like a grizzled veteran <laughs> by, by any means, but I have seen enough and I've seen things ebb and flow and I've seen platforms come and go and media companies come and go and, yeah. you know, players in the, in the space come and go enough to know that the most important thing is a strong brand mm -hmm. and you, you know, you're going to succeed more in certain formats than others. You're going to have some franchises that are going to get hit harder than others, but you can't, you really can't devalue whatever the brand that you're working on. Mm. at at any cost because that's it's easy to forget when you're really hyped in the moment but i've seen i've seen enough you know we're pivoting to facebook video now we need a, a snap stra snapchat strategy now mm -hmm. we got to get on tiktok no 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 now everyone's back into long form stories and, and yeah. text stories no, no no now now print is dead wait print is back but e-commerce you know, newsstands are dead, but e-commerce is back so we can sell magazines like this. Like I've seen so many pivots around the industry that yeah. I know that the one thing that kind of stays constant for any media company or even individual or team or whatever it is, is the, is a brand. And mm. so you can't, if you devalue your brand or you water down your brand, you're all, you're going to, the long-term effects are going to stay. You can't, you can't just like kind of wipe that off if you screw up a brand. But what you can do is if you don't succeed on every single platform to the utmost ability, as the brand stays strong, there's going to be more opportunities to figure it out. There's going to be more places mm. to win because there's always more places to win and there's always more time to figure it out. But, you know, there's nothing quite like a strong brand to pull people. And, you know, that's, that's super important. I think that's something that we really drill down on at Slam and that everyone that works at Slam understands because, you know, through all of our work just last week, we dropped a few covers, but for our newest issue, we have J. Cole. I love it. Um, Julius Randle with RJ Barrett and then four WNBA players uh, yeah. all on one cover. And we had these three really strong covers, really strong cover moments. And, you know, the sales were great. The, um, the you know we sold a bunch of magazines we sold a bunch of cover t-shirts yeah we'll have more cover t-shirts in the future we'll sell a bunch more all that stuff is amazing but what is really amazing is the power of what how that enhanced our brand so that now mm. not just moving forward this has been like this for 27 years yeah. but we reinforced the fact that slam tells the best most authentic most credible basketball stories in the game and we try to enforce that whenever we could. Right. So, mm -hmm. you know, that, that to me is, is the most important thing. It's the strength of the brand. Mm. That's, that's wow. That was a ram. That was a rambling answer to your question. I'm sorry. I went so long. <laughs> no, you're good. It's, it's amazing though. Like it, that was an amazing point and we can jump right into it because that was my next question. So mm -hmm. one of the most recent J Cole, 
Now, hmm. I'm, I'm going to let you in on a little bit about me. I'm the biggest J. Cole fan ever. <laughs> a few people have told me that the past, like, two or three weeks. So you have competition, but uh, <laughs> that's that's cool. I'm, I You like the album? Yes, love it. Okay, cool. Good to love hear. Love the off-season. Have you listened to it? Yeah, 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 of course. I like it a lot. What's the favorite songs? Let's let's talk the first about one, J. Cole. The first one. The first 95 one. South. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I like J. Cole a lot. I love cameron so mm-hmm. hearing him on the intro made me very happy i wish he was given the opportunity to um you know drop a proper verse on there that would have yeah. really you know taken it to the next level in my humble opinion but the album was cool the album was cool i'm a fan i'm a fan i'm not i'm a i'm not a you know i'm not a, a super 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 fan in the way yeah you and a few slam staff members are <laughs> but but I, I really like his music. I'm, I'm with it. Yeah. I mean, I, I go, I remember um, he had a song called Higher and he had a song called Who That. Like that, that was my entry. That was probably either 09 or 2010. So I, I really watched, you know, the whole journey. He was really, he started to get going just as I was starting at Slam. So I've really seen the whole thing mm. from, a, from a little bit of a basketball perspective. I mean, we were even, um, writing like slam was covering j cole his probably his first proper album in like 2011 so we've really covered the whole thing that's 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 amazing just to see that full circle come about for me my favorite song i think i'm gonna have to go about 100 mil or close those are those are my 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 two he snapped though i love the off season (laughs) where would you (laughs) rank it in his in his catalog definitely not top um i love it i think it's good but top for me it's probably, I think it's going to be Forest Hill Drives. That was, mm-hmm. yeah, it's goaded. That one, mm, yeah, that's the best one for me. Is that is that the one with Power Trip? No, that's not the one with Power Trip. I, that was the one before. Forest Hill Drives, one, the one where he was, like, on the uh, the uh, roof of his house. Yeah, and that yeah. was the cover, yeah. Yeah. Power Trip is my favorite J. Cole song. Mm, okay. I love it. I love it. We got some co- first Cole fan on here. I love it. But talking <laughs> <laughs> talking about that, it was the shoot for me. And seeing uh-huh. that, I was just like, yo, slam, like this is crazy. And I couldn't wait to have you on too, because you know, we had talks about the podcast even before it came out. Mm-hmm. And um couldn't wait to talk about that with you. I was just so interested. For me, it was so significant just because I know it was like the first artist, you know, to have a single cover by himself, which was amazing. And to see that full circle relationship with Slam and Cole. But for me, it was so significant simply because of the league he's going to. Um, That's the basketball, the African League. And I think Mm -hmm. that just brings so much visibility towards that league that just wouldn't have been there if he wasn't a part of it. Um, And so for him to just be on the cover and for you guys to have that exposure and opportunity. That's what stuck with me so much because it was like, okay, this is visibility for people who would have never gotten a camera on them before. If it weren't for this situation. A hundred percent, hundred percent. I even, I saw that he was going to the, um, the basketball Africa league and I was reading about it and I hadn't even realized, I knew it had some connection to the NBA, mm-hmm. some sort of formal connection but I hadn't realized that it was like a formal joint venture between the NBA and FIBA. And, wow. you know, I, know I yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't read about it like that until last week. And because of this moment I did, and now I, 
I'm not, you know, I don't, I still don't think, or I, I don't know if there's an opportunity for me to even stream games. I think they, they might've set it up just for like, you know, the hype that they're getting, mm-hmm. but I, and, and I probably won't necessarily watch an upcoming game, yeah. but I'm aware of this league. It's on my radar. If it's talked about, or it's, you know, if I find out about more players going there, it's, you know, it's something that I know about now. And I, I work in basketball and I didn't really know the details of it like that. And that's on mm-hmm. me. I should have, I should have done the knowledge and, and been up on it earlier. And I wasn't, and that's my fault. But I think that's true of a lot of people where now they, they consume content from this league that they probably uh, wouldn't have otherwise. So you're right. I mean, we had, um, we had a clubhouse, like a slam clubhouse session last week where Cole's manager, Eve hopped in and kind of talked a little bit about the cover and the, the album and, and the decision to, to go play over there by Cole. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he said a lot of the same things that he's, you know, J Cole has wanted to play professional basketball for a while. Now he wanted to at least see what he was capable of and reach whatever his ceiling was and to accomplish that somehow. And the fact that they were able to do that and then also spotlight this league Yes. Is, you know, it's amazing. It's, it's, it's really cool. Mm-hmm. I, I love it. Big visibility, like visibility is, is really key. And I'm, I'm always pushing for that. And I've just always been curious what, what goes into those shoots? Like what happens? Okay. Slam decides <laughs> we're going to put Cole on a cover. How do we formulate the ideas? How do we formulate the pictures or what, what it's going to be about? Like, give us a little dive into how we, how do we, you know, we're consuming it, but we never know what really goes into it. So I wish it was as easy as us just saying, we're going to do it. And then that means that it, it happens. <laughs> <laughs> um, a few people have to say yes, but yeah, I mean, we think of the idea in this case, really interestingly. So I've actually thought about putting Cole on the cover a few times in the past. We've, We've reached out, but I don't think we ever really had the right dialogue with the right person over the years. Mm. It's, it's something that has come up in the office a couple of times. I think I, we actually had a music issue like three years ago. And I think someone reached out to, to Cole's manager being like, would you guys want to do something for it? Maybe we could do a cover, but it was a little wishy-washy. I don't think we really approached it being like, let's do a cover. We know we yeah. want to, you know. And he wasn't necessarily in the place of wanting to do it either. He's always been selective with how much media he does. Very as far as I so. know, this was the only, you know, magazine cover he did this year and the only proper like long form story interview he did this year. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't do a lot. And I guess with this album and the, you know, everything being so basketball themed and someone in Cole's camp was like, we should do a slam cover. They, you know, they came to, they actually reached out to the go between was Interscope Records, which is one of his record labels. Mm-hmm. So they, they went to Interscope that, you know, handles a lot of this stuff and says, um, and said, how can we make a slam cover happen? Interscope reached out to us. Wow. We ended up talking directly with Interscope and with Cole's people. And we, you know, I laid it out to them. Okay, well, we have, you know, if we're going to do this, to be released in this time frame, which was around the time frame when it came out, we would need to shoot it by this date. I need, you know, a few hours. We need to do a photo shoot. We'll need to do an interview. Um, we can do it anywhere in the world. We can do it any time of day. We'll find the location. You know, we're, we're super flexible mm-hmm. 
based on talent availability. And they, they were like, okay, we'll get back to you. And then they came back to us and they were like, look, the album's out, you know, approximately this date. They didn't even have, you know, a specific (laughs) date. They were like, the album's out around there. Um, You know, when's your drop dead deadline for a shoot? Told it to them. They said, okay, we're available the day before that. Wow. uh, in, In Raleigh, North Carolina. And, you know, from there, we're off to the races. We have to find the location, get the location approved by Cole's people because they have to be willing to get there. We found mm-hmm. a local, a local, um, like I call them like YMCA's, like a local community center yeah. uh, that had like a good outdoor court option. We also had a couple of indoor court options in case it rained, which I really didn't want to happen because I think there's something about that cover that's so it's North amazing. Carolina. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very, it's very like, the trees in the background it's like a real authentic outdoor court in north carolina like the ones that cole probably grew up playing on yeah um so i'm happy it didn't rain and yeah it literally it happens they there's a stylist there with a whole bunch of clothing for him there's a barber there to cut his hair immediately before the shoot there's a couple of security guards there in case <laughs> anyone acts up and we had you know, we did a shoot for probably five hours. I would say we were wow. on set. Um, you know, a few, he got up on the hoop. That was the first look. We shot him sitting on the hoop. I thought it was going to fall and we were going to, you know, tear. <laughs> I Cole's heard, ACL. I heard doing yeah. the uh, cover. Forbid, he was like, is this sturdy? Like <laughs> it definitely was a little, it was a little iffy, but <laughs> it, it was fine. And then, you know, he changed his clothes. We do a second look. We break for food. Might've done a third look real quick. And then that was it. Then he goes inside. He sits for the, the magazine interview. Some, sometimes we'll have a, usually we'll have a video component to it where we okay. do the interview on camera or we do something else on camera. But in this case, it was really for a, you know, a real magazine long form text story. So he sat with the writer, um, Brandon Jenkins, mm-hmm. and they sat inside for probably an hour, just talking the two of them, nobody else around. and you know, uh, Brandon came out after was like, that was great. Cole takes off. We got a bunch of photos and an interview done. And then a week later, we're, we're done. We, we chose some photos. We chose, you know, we get a group of people together for a cover line conversation, we call it Mm -hmm. to make sure that everyone's aligned on what the cover is going to say. Um, and if you look at that cover, you'll see J Cole dedicated to the game. Basically, the word, the cover lines is something that people take pretty seriously. You want to frame the cover in the proper context. So mm-hmm. I wanted something with game in it because I knew to me, it, it would reflect um, the duality, you know, game could be basketball and game could be rap. So yeah. I think that's, I like that line. Cause it's, he's dedicated to the game, it, regardless of what game you're referencing, he's, mm. he's pushing himself to the limit. And, you know, literally a few days later, we, we were out the door and then, you know, about a week and a half after that, we posted on the internet and here we are. That's the whole process. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. And for the listeners, we're going to in-depth virtual slam. But to be clear, that's not how every cover comes to life. I'm just Mm. being honest with you. It's different. Usually it's us reaching out to an agent or a team public relations person sometimes mm-hmm. both and being like we'd like to put xyz player on the cover they or players on the cover they say yes or no if they say yes 
we find a date and then everything else happens the exact same way. Okay. <laughs> that, that's the only part that is different is this was an inbound. Usually it's outbound. Although pretty often agents hit us up and say, can you put, you know, my client on the cover? And sometimes yeah. our answer is yes. And sometimes our answer is no, but you know, it's just a lot of trying to get the right player at the right time. It's all a timing game, to be honest with you. I'm curious just about one more shoot that I really love. Mm-hmm. Um, Kyle Lowry, Drake, DeMar DeRozan. Mm-hmm. Was that outbound? Was that inbound? How did how did we get that going? So that was that was my probably favorite cover for a long time, maybe mm-hmm. even still. Um, yeah, I did that one soup to nuts. Like that was 2016. We had the idea. We pitched it to the Raptors. They were like, obviously, we love this, but it's not really up to us. It's up to Drake's people. Mm-hmm. You know, they they looped in Drake's people. Um, Drake's manager managers both said you know we actually like this we're in um let's just figure out how to make it happen that that kind of set it all up to happen but also from a schedule perspective logistics perspective all that kind of stuff you know it was intense and they even ghosted us a few times through the process and i thought it was all going to fall apart wow we probably started the conversation in january of 2016 the shoot was in march and february was all-star weekend in toronto so I was spending a lot of time during that weekend trying to track people down. Like I spoke to Kyle Lowry's agent. I spoke to DeMar DeRozan's agent. Mm-hmm. I spoke to Raptors PR. I spoke to Drake's manager. Like I was just talking to everyone and being like, are you in? Will you help me make this happen? Are yeah. you in? Will you, you know, talking to Kyle's agent and saying, tell Kyle to text Drake to say <laughs> he wants to, he wants to do it. So, you you know, I knew that. Drake would do it if Kyle and DeMar texted him and said, we want you to do this. Like he wanted to be in good favor with those guys and vice versa. So mm. it was really, a, it was like a lot of back channeling going on for sure. And then the agents are pushing the players to push Drake. I have Drake's, you know, managers pushing Drake, but at the same time, they do stuff on their own schedule um, and things come together slowly and really whenever they're ready. So wow. yeah, it was just a lot of back and forth and figuring it out, but we, we, we ended up, I went back to Toronto probably a month after that all-star weekend in March. And, um, you know, at 7 PM on a Friday night, we had a photo shoot and Kyle and DeMar got there like a half hour early and we did all their interview stuff, even did like solo photo shit stuff. And then, you know, like every other shoot, I'm always standing there saying, I wonder if the player or in this case rapper is going to actually show up. Mm. Um, because I'm always nervous that they're not going to just, that's just how I'm built that I will be Mm. nervous about any photo shoot happening until I see literally like finger on, uh, you know, camera (laughs) being pressed until I see flashes. I just don't believe it's happening. And, you know, Drake walked in about a half hour later wearing a suit camera ready had, you know, all makeup, haircut, all that stuff done previously I don't think I don't know makeup but like he had his you know styling and haircut he didn't he didn't show up and need any time usually that's pretty standard that if you know you kind of built in built in time for a a haircut or to get some food or to pick out clothes or or anything like that like Drake needed none of that he showed up and he was in front of a camera five minutes later and I was like wow this this really happened and then um yeah that you know from there we were good an hour a a month later we had a a cover out but that one um I really didn't think that one was going to happen until I saw 
I saw the cover. I was in, I got there on Thursday morning for the shoot. That was Friday night. And I went to the Raptors game on Thursday night mm-hmm. and they had a game Saturday night. And I, I knew a few members of the Raptors media. So I saw them at the game Thursday night and they were like, why are you here? Why are you in Toronto? And I was like, I'll tell you on Saturday. Like, I'm not even going to mm. tell you the reason I came to Canada until I have done the thing that I came here to do. Right. And then when I come to the game on Saturday night, which I did go to, I was like, all right, I'm here because we did <laughs> a Drake cover. Um, and they were stoked and I was stoked, but I didn't even want to say it out loud until it was, until it was in the bag. So Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. It's amazing to just hear how everything comes together so differently and how, how you can be anxious, you know, about these things coming together. Oh, that's, every time. Man, that's crazy. What you said that was your favorite cover for a while. Has there been a favorite interaction with the individual athlete or something that's hands down, like the favorite moment that you've ever had? Um, I don't know about a, a favorite in that regard, but you know, my first cover as editor in chief was with Carl Towns wow, and, okay. and he was awesome you know showed up stayed for probably four hours or at least three I remember he was like look I I have so much respect for what you guys do um you know I'm here as long as you as you need me for and again I'm new newly made editor-in-chief like still figuring it out how to yeah really do it all properly I, I knew the process but I didn't you know have it mastered by any means and the fact that this guy who was you know, a, a, a newly superstar in his own right, like had really, po- you know, this is, this is 20, this is probably late 2016, like heading into that season, mm-hmm. um, the 16, 17 season. He, he was an NBA player for maybe a year or two at this point, but had really popped You know, he was, he was accelerating fast yeah. and he, he made it easy and he was a pleasure to work with. And it, it's just one of those things that I'll always remember that like my first um, my first cover as editor in chief was made so simple by talent who really who really cared and like genuinely wanted something amazing to come to life as a result yeah. of the shoot. Um, that was just very cool. I don't know if that's the most special one I've been around, you know, obviously like Drake and Cole are probably more famous names if you go by Q rating or whatever. <laughs> and um you know, there have probably been a few others that are just, you know, really incredible. But that's one that that does stand out just because it was first. Mm, that's amazing. OK, Carl Anthony Towns. And then I got two more questions. We're going to finish it out. You're good. First mm-hmm. one. Uh, I'm so curious if there has been a shoot. You know, we hear the good. We hear the anxiousness. We hear we see the outcome. Has there been a big mistake that you've made? during your shoot with athlete or something that you messed up on and a lesson you learned from it? Like you're, I don't know what, what's the most important one to you. Um, shoots have gone poorly in the sense that for shoots go poorly for a few reasons. One, and I not to deflect, but this is genuinely not my fault. Sometimes a player just won't want to do it. And you're, mm. you're in his city with the photographer and possibly a few videographers and, you're there and you're ready to go and the player doesn't want to do it. And there's no, it just is what it is. You get back on the plane and you come home and you got to answer to someone. I'd be pissed. Yeah. It's not (laughs) not the best. It's not the best. There's, there are a couple of NBA players who have put me through that experience. 
And to be honest, I try not to judge. I try not to judge too hard. Obviously in the moment you, it's hard to separate it yeah. and not, not be upset about it, but you don't know what's going on in this person's life at mm-hmm. all. And they might not want to give you an hour and a half to do a photo shoot when they have, who knows what's going on. You know, I'm mm-hmm. not in their shoes. Um, so that's, you know, not the best. I think I immediately thought of being a writer and kind of like being a nervous young writer and hearing answers to, to questions when I'm interviewing someone and not, not pushing them hard enough to follow up, to follow, you know, to follow up and have them really explain what they're saying because um, players can sometimes like say a lot without really saying it. But if mm-hmm. you push them harder, they'll, they'll really, they will explain it. And one of the, one of the hardest parts of, of interviewing, I think a famous person is pushing them to really say what they mean. And I don't think I did a lot of that for a lot mm. of years. And then I got comfortable with it and then became more willing to do that. But in the early years, I don't think I was ever comfortable, like pushing people to really explain stuff. If it was not that we're ever like asking them to talk shit about teammates or coaches yeah. or anything <laughs> like that, but even stuff that they're passionate about and happy to talk about. I don't think I was the best interviewer for a lot of years in terms of the shoots and the cover shoots and all of that. Not really. I don't think there's anything that we've like, that I feel like we screwed up on or, you know, done horribly. We've probably, there's probably covers that I look at now and I'm like, I don't know if this was the right decision. It didn't, you know, the most important thing to me, honestly, and this is kind of goes back to the conversation about brands that we had before where nothing's more important than keeping the brand strong. You want covers to last for a long time. And so you can look at them three, five, seven, 10 years from now, 20 years from now and be like, that was an amazing you captured a moment, you captured a player in a place and that this cover means something. Um, and so there's a few covers where I'll look at and be like, I don't know if this was a great decision. This didn't really mean that much and, and mm. it didn't really last, but I'm not going to call those out. I don't think that's right for those players. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm sure the, the covers were, you know, special to them. So they aren't really bad decisions, but I'm sure there's we could have gone with one player over the next at times and mm. it would have uh it might have had more everlasting meaning if we did but you know yeah. you live and learn i love that great points you made and this is just getting a little advice for me this is for the listeners too but for myself mm. i gotta be a sponge and and pick your brain a little you talked about being nervous about interviewing um mm. how do you um pry further to these individuals to get the right thing out of them how do you say the right thing you know to make sure you're not coming off too strong, but you're getting what you want for Slam Magazine. Yeah, a lot of times I, I, I was afraid of just doing so much as being like, when you say that last thing that you just said, what do you really mean by that? Like, can you, can you dive deeper into that? Because if you listen to someone talk for five minutes about something, and as you can see, Lord knows I can ramble for five minutes about like anything. <laughs> um, you know, there's probably, if they hit a bunch of points, there's probably a, a thing that's somewhere in there that's really interesting that they'll only go deeper into if you push them to and you ask them to. Mm. I didn't necessarily always feel comfortable doing that. And, and that's a hard shell to, to break. I, I, I think a lot of it is I didn't really think I was a very good writer. I still don't think I was ever a very um, next level writer by any means. I don't think that's really been the thing that's like, pushed me forward through my career by any means. Um, I was on the school newspaper, but I was more of an editor. I wasn't really a writer. So I didn't really like come into this as a feeling like I was a good writer or yeah. confident in that. 
I felt like I knew Twitter better than I knew writing. I was like, oh, I've been on this thing <laughs> since the, I've, known, I've been on this thing since the beginning. Like I know how to use this inside and out. Um, as opposed to writing where I was like, I haven't written that many stories and I just got an internship at Slot. Like, I think I wrote like a 1800 word story about about uh, Manu Ginobili for my yeah. first like long feature. And I was like, I think this is the longest thing I've ever written, um, which doesn't speak well to like my college experience, but I'm pretty sure my first like 1800 or longer word story was written and was published in a magazine as opposed to like, being wow. a college paper or something like that yeah um so that's not great but you know you just gotta you gotta remind yourself that you're you're sitting there for a reason and you're you know you you worked hard enough to be able to interview whoever you're interviewing and if mm. that person is is speaking to you they should be able to answer your questions and also that they're adults that's a big that's been a big thing for me is like um remember you know it's easy to be like, oh, this person is an NBA all-star. They've been, they've made 10 all-star games. They're super famous. Like, sure. But they're also an adult. They, they know how to carry a conversation. They know how to, mm. um, you know, be asked questions. You can talk to them like they're an adult. You, you don't have to be nervous about what you're asking them or be unwilling to follow up if you heard something that's interesting, but you're not sure if you should ask them to yeah. you know go further about one of the things that they spoke on mm, that's a, that's a great point I'm definitely going to take that and I think that was really interesting last question to finish it out this has been amazing first of all um the gems you've dropped what I've learned just to hear all these things that go behind the scene thank you no problem <laughs> seriously and last question Let's see. I know we have a lot of ideas in the portal for slam. I know there are ideas that you have. Like you said, it has to go through a couple people to even get approved. My hmm. question would be, who do we, who do you, who does Adam want to see on the slam magazine cover next that has not been on there or that you haven't worked with? There's one or two. I can't say it. I can't say it out loud or else it'll never happen. Okay. Um, <laughs> there's a couple that are, not really um, <laughs> basketball people, but I think are in the are in the basketball universe in the same way. Jay Cole is not was not a professional basketball player, but yeah. is on the slam cover. And I mean that's not true anymore. But um, I, you know, not an NBA player, but is on the slam cover by himself. I think there's a couple of people who have made meaningful cultural change to the basketball universe who who would apply um so i'd like to you know that would be cool yeah. um but i'm not gonna say their names because it will literally never happen if i do um i promise if it does i'll i'll send you an email and be like this is the person i i got i got <laughs> okay <laughs> man or woman um Bet from an NBA player perspective, there's really good players that we just never have gotten to yet for various reasons. It just didn't, it didn't make sense, or there wasn't, they're on a team that's not doing too well. The hype wasn't there. Like, but mm. they're elite, elite, elite level players. Honestly, um, you know, they're I, I, I don't, I feel like calling them out is like unfair. But you know, Bradley Beal is a uh, an all star, yes. elite level scorer has never been on a slam cover. We have to figure out how to rectify that sooner than later. Mm -hmm. um there's probably two or three others that are you know super high level players that have never been on the been on the cover and I'm sure we'll get to them pretty soon but 
Yeah, I mean, you know, just so I don't give you no names because that feels like a cop out. I'll give you one and I'll <laughs> say um, Bradley Beal very much deserves it. So, I love that. He's an he's yeah. an exceptional player. You know, Washington isn't the greatest market, but uh, I hope to see it coming <laughs> soon. And I'm going to be like, Bradley, Adam said it on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully they make the playoffs. Yes. And they keep the momentum going. I it, They've been fun. I mean, I think a lot of people thought they'd be a real you know, bottom feeder this year. And it mm-hmm. seemed for a second, like that might happen. And then I did. <laughs> and now here we are, like they're on the verge of making the playoffs. And I think they have to win twice or once. I, I'm not sure. I think they have to win twice. Oh no, they have, if they play Boston, that means they have to win once. So they might, um, they're one win away. I yeah. think they're, they're one of those teams that like, you don't really expect that much from them in the playoffs, but nobody's going to want to play them they're they're feisty Mm -hmm. nobody's gonna want to play them so i I agree it's interesting to see but if hey y'all do a sports podcast segment we're always here (laughs) (laughs) no doubt oh but man adam i appreciate it like i said earlier this has been super fruitful um i've been so excited about this just to speak with you pick your brain like learn from you um and just just really have this conversation with you so i'm so appreciative of this um it was amazing i hope this was fun for you because it was fun for me no it was, um, it was a lot of fun thank you for having me i told you this when, when i first stopped on I'll, I'll tell you again now that it's recording you have the best podcast name in the game Ooh! um keep it up <laughs> you're, you're doing amazing things so it's 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 super dope i'm i'm all about it you know thank you thank for having you. me Thank you, man. I appreciate it. And thank you for everybody who's tuning in. If you haven't subscribed, leave a five star review and share with everybody who, you know, has watched the slam. Um, any any video had a cover, whatever the situation may be, so they can just get these gems from Adam. But without further ado, we out and I appreciate y'all.